0: We love Pastor Nick, known Pastor Nick for 20 plus years. I knew him when he had more hair and uh, I I remember 20 years ago him speaking into my life and we've known each other for a long time he used to come when I was senior pastoring and uh, was involved in my church in doing leadership stuff and and just mentoring me and helping me and now get the great privilege of working underneath his leadership and he's a great man of God so appreciative of everything he's invested in me everything he's poured into my life and what he's done for me on a personal level it's always good being around people who want to take you to the next level in who you are they're not trying to hold you back but they're trying to develop you and that's what i love about pastor nick he's got that heart and that spirit about him so i'm going to preach today now what time do we normally finish here Eleven thirty. okay we're gonna go real quick today good what um kelly the kelly slater look alike yes you look like kelly slater don't you just yeah well you can't have everything can you um you know, just as you were leading, I, I just sense and um, just on my heart for you, it's like you've got a car and you've got it in first gear and, and you, you're dropping the clutch but you're getting no traction. And I just sense that there's a traction that's going to come and sometimes when you hit the traction, the tendency is to take your foot off the accelerator. But I reckon there's an authority that God wants to put on your life. I, I see this morning, there's, there's almost like a, a hesitancy, but there's an authority God wants to put on your life. And when he puts that authority on you, the temptation will be to take your foot off the accelerator. But God's actually saying, no, there's an authority I'm going to put on you to lead people. And it's going to come and people are going to see it and they're going to respond to it. But you're, you're, you're soft, You're a soft kind of guy, I'm not saying that in a negative way, that's a positive to you, but you're a soft kind of guy. So don't be afraid when that authority comes on you because God is actually going to birth things out of it. You need to listen to your wife, your wife's going to encourage you, she's going to build you. I'm sure they're recording this and she can play it for you later, but she's going to encourage you, she's going to build you and there's going to be times where she's going to push you. And you need to listen to that and God is going to do great things through you. And as he lifts you, he's also going to lift your wife as well. That's good. I feel that off my chest. I don't have to worry about that any longer. So it's so good to be here with you. You know, I I believe in miracles. As I'm sitting looking at this church today, what a miracle it is that five years ago this church looked totally different. Isn't it a miracle? Isn't it great what God has done? You're very quiet this morning. Are you always this quiet? I come from a church full of hecklers. They heckle me, they interact with me, they talk back to me. I'm used to that. We used to pastor a church down in Ferntree Tree Gully. We used to get guys go down to the train station and they would pick up all the drunks, all the drug addicts and they would bring them to our church. It was fantastic. They used to heckle me, they used to put up their hands and ask questions. I'm used to that kind of church. If you want the best out of me, you've got to be a little bit responsive. So when I ask you a question, you just got to respond. That'll help me in my preaching. But you know, what a miracle it is to be here and to see what God has done but do you know there's a miracle of what he's done in the building but also the miracle in people what an incredible miracle what God has done in so many lives in this place you know I look on my life and I say it's a miracle that I'm standing here today absolute miracle of God that I'm here ministering to you speaking in a church You see, my my family background would probably say I'd be the least likely guy to ever be standing in this place. You see, my parents met when they were 15. Both of them came from incredibly dysfunctional backgrounds uh, for different reasons. My dad uh, grew up in a household where his father came back from a Second World War psychologically affected he'd served in uh, New Guinea he'd also served in Borneo and just some of the things that happened and today we would say it's what post-traumatic stress disorder back then they had no idea but he was quite mixed up never had a good night's sleep would always wake up in the middle of the night screaming and that happened the whole of his life from returning from service so he did what most people do he medicated himself by alcohol and so he was a chronic alcoholic, chronic smoker, chronic gambler. He always earned good money, but the money was wasted; it was frittered away. And so my dad grew up in that environment. At the age of 14, he left school, became a bricklayer. How many bricklayers here? Oh no! Oh, should be one bricklayer in every church. Became a bricklayer. My mum, on the other hand, you know, she came from a very wealthy family, plenty of money, but they'd had their own sense of tragedy. Uh, In her family, she had lost a sister at a very young age. And then at the age of 12, her brother contracted cancer. And for six years, he battled cancer and eventually ended up losing a leg at the age of 16 and ended up passing away at the age of 17. And so two young kids who families were in crisis for different reasons met up. And at the age of 16, my mum was pregnant. My dad was 16. My mum was 16. And the ripe old age of 16 and a half, they got married. How many of you have got 16 and a half year old kids here? Just tens of them just say, don't you dare ever think about getting 16 and a half. I mean 16 and a half year old kids. And I go, wow, my parents were married at your age. Incredible. My dad suffered in his household in from alcohol and all the effects of that and so when he was at quite a young age started to battle with alcohol as well became an alcoholic at quite a young age at 18 he would drink himself every night into oblivion every weekend was just a binge fest and you know my mum had a really difficult time she you know she weren't christian didn't know the lord and they just did what People do. But one day, though, she was living in a little town. We lived in a little country town, 45 people in it. My dad had gone away for work. My mum was there. She was struggling. She had three young kids. She was 20. She had three young kids under five. How many of you mums know what I'm talking about? She was just at the end of her tether. She woke up. She didn't have a clear outlook on her future. And so she prayed. She said, God, if you're real, just in pure desperation, she said, you've got to prove you're real to me. I was, I just don't want to do life anymore. And I'd love to say that two Christians came and witnessed to her and shared the gospel with her. But unfortunately, Christians don't tend to do that a lot. So God sent two Jehovah's Witnesses. And the Jehovah's Witnesses came and they knocked on her door. And my mum just felt like God answered her prayer. She just said, man, I don't know. And so she prayed a prayer with them and they left. And this is why well, I love God because God is so kind and he's so gracious because Christians would never go but Jehovah's Witness. So next time they come and you mock them, please just remember, I'm only here because of them. But anyway, that's another story. But they go and my mum's sitting there in the lounge and she feels someone speak to her. She doesn't know about the Holy Spirit. Someone speaks to her and says, they are going the wrong way. You were to go to the little Baptist church down the road, and that's where you're going to find me. And so they come back, and they're all excited, think they've got a convert. And she says, No, I'm not going to you, I'm going to the Baptist church down the road. And it started a journey in my family which led to, you know, me at the age of 16 committing my life to Christ, led to my sisters committing their life to Christ, led to eventually after 23 years after my mother's salvation, my father coming to Christ. God is absolutely incredible in what he can do in people's lives. There's miracles that he does in people's lives. There's things which you could never, ever hope to imagine that he can do in your life today. But, you know, God does miracles in saving us, but there's also when we have the miracles, miracle. How many of you know that when you come and God says, I'm going to use you, I'm going to do something in your life, I'm going to change you, I'm going to transform you. How many of you know that you have a little few rough edges? I mean, you come to Jesus, but there's still some rough edges that he needs to actually work through, process and actually change in your life. And this morning, we're going to look at someone who came to God and to be used and equipped for God's purposes, who had a few rough edges, which God had to himself work out of his life. And so if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to the book of Exodus? I've been told of a sermon. What are you leaning on? What are you leaning on? When we come and we find Moses in this story in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3 and 4, we find that Moses is in the back end of a desert. He's in a a lonely, a desolate place. He's in a place where, uh, you know, there's nothing much happening. You've ever been out to Broken Hill? Anyone here ever been out to Broken Hill? Ever been out there? You go out there, there's nothing out there. It is just desolate, it's dry, there's not much happening. And so he's in this desolate, dry place... And God comes and He says, I'm calling you to rescue my people. You're the guy. I've chosen you. You're the one I want you to go and rescue my people. Now you may wonder. How did, where are God's people where did God's people come from well, There was a guy called Abraham God chose him in Genesis chapter 12 it says Abraham I have chosen you I'm going to make a people out of you they're going to be my people and what happens is he goes to a land which God shows him and when he's there he walks around the land but he never really possesses it and through successive sons uh, there's a there's a dynasty which God creates Abraham Isaac and Jacob and while they're there Jacob one of Jacob's sons gets sold into slavery But it wasn't by chance. It was actually by the plans and the purposes of God. He goes into Egypt. He rises to a position of prominence. He becomes second in charge of all the land. And so we find ourselves that the people of God move down there because there's a famine where they are. So Jacob moves and he takes his family down into Egypt. And down in Egypt, God turns them into a great nation over 400 years. They settle in one of the great parts of the land, a fertile place where they can grow, where they can be developed as a people. But now they are stuck because it says that a new king came to power who knew not of Joseph. That's what's called a culture shift. Culture shift can happen very quickly. And a culture shift happened in Egyptian culture. They didn't remember any more Joseph and the great things that Joseph had done. And instead, they started to fear who the Israelites were. They started to get worried about them. And so they started to oppress them. And when they oppressed them, they came to the point of oppression over them. And they said, We're gonna kill all your male-born children because we do not want you to grow. We do not want you to threaten us. And so they killed end up killing all the newborn children. But then in Acts chapter 7, I'm going to read from the book of Acts. You just stay in Exodus. It talks about Moses who comes along and it says in Acts chapter 7 verse 20, at that time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not the next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting he tried to reconcile them by saying men you are brothers why do you want to hurt each other but the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said who made you ruler and judge over us are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday when Moses heard this he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and he had two sons so you've got to remember there's many times when we talk about Moses, people read the, the Exodus 4, where Moses says, oh Lord, I haven't, I'm not a great speaker, I'm not great, I'm not confident, I've never been good. But Acts actually tells us that there was a time in his life when he was mighty in deeds and action. There was a time when there was something upon his life that he had an ability to actually do things in a great way. And now we find that he runs away. He goes and he hides in Midian. He takes on the job of a shepherd, the most despised job an Egyptian could have. The shepherds were looked upon as untrustworthy. They were looked upon as gypsies. They were looked upon as flaky. And he takes the lowliest job for an Egyptian, particularly someone who's grown up in a royal household. And he finds himself in this desperate place. You see, he'd been trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. He would have known all about astrology. He would have known about mathematics. He would have known about psychology, the three major things which they were educated in. But he finds himself in Midian, out in the back of a desert where there's no one who knows who he is. There's no one who actually kind of understands him. And here he is in this place. And now for the sake of time this morning, I'm just going to, paraphrase Exodus chapter 3, is that okay? Can I paraphrase? This is the Steve anointed version. Not quite as good as some other versions. So he's out in the desert, he's in this lonely place and he sees a burning bush. He watches and sees the burning bush, sees it's not consumed, so he's intrigued. He goes over and he looks at it and God appears. God says to him, this lamb where you are standing is holy, take off your shoes. And God says, I've heard the cry of my people. My people have been crying out to me and I've heard that cry and I'm sending you to go rescue them. And he asked two questions. He says, first of all, God, who am I that I should go? Who am I? I'm, I'm a no one. I'm, I, I'm nobody. I've been out here 40 years. I'm, I haven't got any position, prominence, voice. I haven't got anything to say. And God says, well, yeah, but I'm sending you. So he asks a second question Well, he says, Well, who are you? Because he doesn't even know who God is, really. He says, who are you, God? And he says, I am who I am. How many of you like that answer? I am who I am. And he says, I'm sending you and tell them that I am who I am is sending you. In verse 18, he goes on to, God goes on to say, but go and speak to the elders. Tell them that you've come to liberate them and they will listen to you. But then we come to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. We're going to read from there this morning. It says this: Moses answered, "What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you?" Then the Lord said to him, "What is in your hand?" "A staff," he replied. "The Lord said, "Throw it on the ground." Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, "Reach out with your hand and take it by the tail." So Moses reached out and took hold of a snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. As we read the book of Exodus, this is what I want you to do, just with the person next to you. Do you know the person next to you? If you don't, this is a great opportunity to get to meet them. This is how you do it. You just say, hi, my name, I'd say, my name is Steve. You'd say your name. You wouldn't say you were Steve. And then you say, hey, and I just want you to ask a question, just a two, like, 30 second discussion what is the book of Exodus all about? just turn to the person next to you just have a quick discussion what is the book of Exodus about? it's okay to say you don't know Fantastic. Did you meet the person next to you? I hope you did. Hey, what's the book of Exodus all about? Now, hopefully no one went like fully theological on you and went on to the, hopefully that didn't happen. I apologize if that did. But you know, if you want to just simplify, what is the book of Exodus all about? It's about one thing. It's about God's glory. That's what the whole book is about. The whole book of Exodus is about the glory of God. So God appears and he reveals himself to Moses in his glory. And he says, hey, you know what? Go to Pharaoh and tell him release my people. What for? So they may come and worship me. In other words, they may come and give me glory. That's why Pharaoh reacts against it. He reacts against it because what it's about. He's saying, "No, I deserve all the glory. I want the glory. I want the honor And he says, "No, my people are going to go and worship me and give me the glory." And so then we have the the exodus that happens, and we see the people go to the Red Sea. They get to the other side. What do they do? They glorify God. They say, "God, you are incredible. God, what you have done is a miracle. God, you are fantastic." They come to the mountain of God later on. When they arrive at the mountain of God, they see the glory of God. We have Moses who goes up the mountain. When Moses is up in the mountain, what? happens the people turn to a golden calf and they begin to worship it God gets so ticked why does he get ticked because they've taken the glory that belongs to him and given it to a golden calf and so then he comes back up the mountain Moses goes back up he becomes radiant with the presence and the glory of God and he comes back down the mountain see the whole book of Exodus is about the glory of God This is what the book is about. It's not necessarily about God's people. Sometimes we brace it down to us and people, but you know, it's actually about the glory of God. And so even in Scripture, Psalm 106 says this, he saved him talking about the Exodus for his namesake to make his mighty power known. In Exodus 14, 18, this is what God says, the Egyptians will know that I am God when I gain glory through Pharaoh. So the story is all about God's glory. So everyone has a backstory. Everyone has a backstory. Now, you know Moses. So here's Moses. He grows up in an Egyptian household. He looks like an Egyptian. He speaks like an Egyptian. He thinks like an Egyptian. But he's not really Egyptian because everyone knows that he's not really an Egyptian. He's the guy that got fished out of the water. He's the guy that's actually one of those Jews. So he doesn't fit in with the Egyptians, but then he doesn't fit in with the Jews because he doesn't look like a Jew. He doesn't act like a Jew. He doesn't speak like a Jew. He doesn't think like a Jew. So he's caught between two cultures. And this is his backstory. never quite fitting in. Always the guy who's now out in the desert, despite doing a job that's despised by Egyptians. He's been rejected by everyone and he spends his time in the desert. And God comes and appears to him. Moses asks him two questions. Who am I? And then, who are you? And here in chapter 4, he says to God, he says, God, what happens when I go back and they, if they don't believe me? Because, you know, I'm going back and what if they don't believe me? And God says to him this, he says, hey, I want you to go back because I've anointed you and they're going to listen but, but he, he, he has this memory you see how many of you have a memory? a memory can be a great thing see last time he was there they said who made you ruler and judge? so he's now going back to say I'm now going to be your ruler and your judge because God's told me that that's who I am but last time I did that it didn't work out so well for me so he, he, he comes along and he's like oh Lord how am I going to do this? how am I going to do this? And you see, there's this thing that's happening in his heart. He's got this question and God says to him, hey, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? He looks at his hand, he's got his staff. He's got his staff. And God says, throw it down. You know, I go walking most mornings. We live opposite the National Park in Bendigo and uh, get a great opportunity. I walk literally 50 metres out my door and I'm in National Park. It's fantastic. I love it. And I go walking with my dog and, and you know, what I do, I pick up a stick. I do that for a number of reasons. Number one, there's a lot of big kangaroos. And if you ever confronted a big kangaroo, you know what I'm talking about. They're actually quite scary. So I pick up this big stick and I normally walk with this stick and I lean on it and I kind of, you know, look like Bear Grylls. Not really. <laughs> kind of just walking with it. But, you know, a staff was an important thing for a shepherd because a staff was what you lean on. It's what you put pressure on. A staff was also what you defended yourself with. A staff was uh, also what you carried to lead the sheep and give direction and show leadership. And God says to him, I want you to take that staff and I want you to throw it on the ground. Now, when God was saying throw it on the ground, we read it and we understand most things, but there's one thing we don't understand about a staff. See, a staff was more than that. A staff back in these times was also something that you put your exploits on. What you would do is you would actually put your exploits Everything great you had ever done, you would put it on your staff. You would, you know, with woodworking skills and do that, you would put it on there. It might be, I remember the time where I defended myself from a bear. Look at me, I'm pretty cool. It might be the great exploits. It might be about your family. It might be about all the great things that you have done. And so God comes to Moses and he says, hey Moses, I want you to take the thing that you lean on. I want you to take the thing which you depend upon. I want you to take the thing you defend yourself with. I want you to take the thing which is all about your great accomplishments, how good you are, how fantastic you are, and I want you to throw it in the dirt. You see, God wasn't just talking about a staff. He was actually talking about something that was going on in his heart. And he says, Moses, I'm going to use your staff I'm going to use what's in your hand. I'm going to do something with it, but you have to realise something about your staff. It's not about you and your power and what you're doing. I'm going to work through it, but it's going to be by my spirit for my glory and it's going to be about me and it's not going to be about you. So you need to take your accomplishments, your ego, your pride, the things you do well, you need to pick it up and you need to throw it in the dirt. And when he throws it in the dirt, an interesting thing happens. Now, God could have turned it into anything. He could have turned it into a hippo. I mean, if he turned it into a hippo, that would have been a miracle. How many of you know that? Poof, hippo comes up. Whoa, look at that. That is cool. It's a hippo. That would be more impressive to me than a snake because I hate snakes. Do I get an amen for hating snakes? I hate snakes. Do you know people have petting zoos where kids put snakes around them? What is wrong with people today? Society is all messed up. I come from a country, we shoot them. No, we used to shoot them. They're protected now. You can't do that. We call it relocating now. So God says to him, take, take, take this, throw it in the dirt. It becomes a snake. When it becomes a snake, an interesting thing that it becomes a snake. See, because there was something that the Egyptians believed about the snake. The Egyptians actually believed that the snake was where wisdom and healing came from. If you think about the account of Genesis, the account of Genesis is this. The serpent comes along, tells a lie. We abandon our faith in God, which is just a belief in what God says is true. We believe the lie and we take on the lie. So in fact, the Egyptians looked at what happened in the Garden of Eden in a totally opposite way. They say that is actually the beginning of where knowledge and wisdom came from. That's where healing came from. So they actually see the same event which happened in the book of Genesis totally through different eyes. They say that's where wisdom comes from, that's where healing comes from. And so Moses throws down his staff, his ego, his pride, his accomplishments and it turns into a snake. You see, sometimes what happens with our accomplishments are is we start to rely on our wisdom, our guidance, who we are, what we do independent from God. And when God says, throw it down and it turns into a snake, God gives him a glimpse of what it actually is when you rely on it. When you actually rely on it, it becomes a snake. And he actually sees it for what it is. That when we start to live independent from God, seeking our own glory, it becomes a serpent. And God's speaking to Moses and he's saying, Moses, I want you to go and deal with the pride in Pharaoh. But before I can deal with the pride in Pharaoh, I've got to deal with the pride in you. And you're going to take who you are, your ego, your pride, your accomplishments, all the great things you've done and you're going to throw it in the dirt and you're going to see it for what it is that is actually not good for you. You see, because the book of Exodus is all about God's glory. It wasn't about Moses' glory. It wasn't about your glory. It wasn't about the people's glory. It was about God's glory. And God says, you can't afford to rely on how you think about yourself. You have got to be convinced in my power. The other thing was this, is that the, the Pharaoh saw that power came from a serpent. i just got a quick picture. Can we just show the picture? Thank you. What's on his head? This is What's on his head? It's a snake. See, God was saying, hey, I'm going to get you and You're going to go and confront the power of Pharaoh. And what's going to happen is this. See, that's actually a, that's actually a copper hood. Around his head. See, the whole Egyptian uh, theology and thought pattern was this. Is the snake gave wisdom, power. It gave, it gave everything to us. And so when God says it's going to be a snake, and then he says, I want you to go pick it back up. That's why later on in the book of Exodus, the interesting thing is, is that his snake actually eats all the other snakes because when you, when you ate something, when you partook of it, you actually took on its power. So later on, God says, hey, you know what? I've taken over your power. I now have your power. That's what he's actually doing. But this snake is here and God says, throw it on the ground. He says, pick it up by the tail and it returns back to a staff. See, God's saying, I'm going to use your stuff. I'm going to use who you are, but you need to know something about it. You need to get rid of your ego. You need to get rid of your pride. You need to get rid of your self-accomplishments. You need to get rid of all these things. And you need to actually seek after one thing, which is my glory. Do you know, I believe that God, what God is looking for in the church. And I'm speaking to a church with a fellow heart. I feel connected to this church. I don't come to this church, but I feel connected. I feel like part of a family. And I can say that, because even if you don't want me, I'll be the weird uncle or something like that. But, (laughs) you know, I truly believe that what God is looking for in this generation, and when I say generation, that's old and young, I truly believe that what God is looking for in His people, is people that say, you know what, God, we're after your glory. It's not about me, it's not about my skills, it's not about the things I do well, but it's actually about you and giving you glory. Before I was a pastor, I worked in corporate sales. I used to work in North Sydney. Um, if you've ever done traffic in North Sydney, you'd feel great compassion for me. I was working with a company, i have been there two years, and God, God was incredibly kind and gracious. Within two years, I was equal best salesman with guys who have been in the industry for years absolute years and i was driving under the sydney tunnel one day and I had this great thought the thought was this i'm pretty good at this <laughs> i'm pretty good at this i have this great thought and something didn't sit right as soon as that thought entered my head and i started to wrestle it out and as i began to wrestle it out i realized that i was actually taking the glory for what god had did So God had done incredible things in my life, but it wasn't me. It was actually God. And sometimes what we do is we have blessings which come upon our life and we start taking the glory for it. Maybe your kids have turned out really good and you say, man, look at me, I was a pretty good parent. Hey, maybe, do you know what? It was just for God's glory. Maybe it wasn't necessarily the things you did. Maybe you're having success in an area of your life. Can I encourage you today to maybe just realize that maybe it's not for your glory, it's actually for God's. And sometimes what we're doing is, and i am being guilty of this, we're stealing the glory of God. We're taking the glory that belongs to God, the praise that belongs to God, the honor that belongs to God, and we're taking it for ourselves. And we're stealing away from Him the thing that He deserves the most. I love what it says in Scripture, He will not share His glory with another. He actually wants you to glorify Him, to see Him for who He is. You see, you can lean on All kinds of things. But God says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to use your staff. I'm going to use who you are. I'm going to use what's in your hand. But you've got to know something about it. It's not going to be through your good luck, good management or good skills. It's actually going to be through my power. Do you know, I believe that God wants to move through every church where people will say, hey, you know what, God, we're here to glorify you. We're not here to make ourselves look good. We're not here scrambling for positions. We're not here trying to make things happen for us. We're actually here for your glory. You see, some of you may be struggling in a workplace where you go, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I can't get ahead. I don't know what's happening. Maybe because you're trying to do it so much in your own strength to gain your own glory, but they allow God to do it. God wants to make Christians the head and not the tail. That's why he says to him, hey, pick it up by the tail. It returns back into a staff. I think of Moses in 40 years in the desert where he thinks, I've missed it. I can't make it. I can't be used. And you might be here today and you might be saying, I think I'm past it. I think my time's done. I think I can't make this happen. Hey, let me tell you, God can still use you today. But what are you leaning on? Are you leaning on yourself? Are you leaning on what you do? Are you leaning on how you do things? Or are you prepared to say, God, I want to lean on you today? It took 40 years for Moses to come to the place where he said, God, I'm not qualified. And as soon as he comes to the place saying, I'm not qualified, I'm not ready, I can't do this, God says, fantastic, you're ready. Do you know sometimes I just believe God is waiting to a place where we come and we say, hey, you know what, God? I don't think I can do this, God. I don't think I have the power, God. I don't think this is, I think it's beyond me. And God says, fantastic, now you're ready. Because I've been waiting for you to come to that place because you've been so full of yourself, so full of your accomplishments, so full of what you do so well and you're going to go out and try and do my work through your power and I don't want that to happen. So I've been protecting you. I've been holding you back. I've been stopping you. I've been actually just holding you there until you come to the point of saying, I can't do it. And he said, great, because now you've realized that I can use you as my vessel. I can send you. I can do something through you. But see, sometimes God's just waiting. See, rather than be like Moses, who had to come to that place through 40 years, Wouldn't it be great if we were a church that just said, you know what, Lord? We don't have to go through 40 years of waiting to realize that we can't do this just by ourselves. We realize that, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. We don't want to do it in our own power, in our own strength. Imagine if we could settle in our heart, but Lord, it's not for our glory, but it's for yours. Imagine if this church could just have an idea, Lord, we want to grow. But Lord, it's not to say, look at us. It's not to say, oh, aren't we good? We're fantastic. Look at what we do. But we say, God, this is all for your glory. It's all for your glory. God, we're doing, we're changing this world. We're changing this society. Not so that people look on us in the church world and say, oh, wow, they're such a great church. Aren't they fantastic? No, but we're doing it because we want to see Jesus glorified. And I just believe that sometimes God is just waiting for the church to say, hey, you know what, Lord, it's about you. We're going to make it about your glory. We're going to make it about who you are. We're going to make it about your character. I've gone over time this morning. So you can't fight the pride and the arrogance of Egypt when it's still going on in your heart. You can't fight the pride and the arrogance and the self-esteem and the ego that goes on as well when it's still inside of you. And this morning... Just as I'm going to head back to your pastor in just a few moments. But this morning, can we just do something? Now, some of you may not be able to do this. Do you know, one of the great things that I love, I used to have this prayer chair. I used to sit in my room. It's about 150 years old. I used to love this prayer chair. It's a Catholic prayer chair, but that's all right. God loves Catholics. Do you know what I loved about this chair? See, was grooves in it. There were groups where someone had just put their knees down on the back of his chair and they prayed. And you know, there's something about getting down on your knees before God. I don't think we do it enough as Pentecostals. We're too busy jumping around, being happy, speaking in tongues. But I think there's something powerful about getting on your knees and saying, Lord, it's not about me. It's not about me looking good, Lord, it's all about you. And do you know, this morning, just as we finish, maybe, now if you physically can't do this, please feel under no obligation. But if you can, if you're able this morning. I just want us to finish the service, just on our knees before God. Just an acknowledgement that, Lord, we're seeking your glory. We're seeking your praise. We're seeking, Lord, who you are this morning. Can we do that? Are you able this morning? Are you willing this morning? It's a long way down, isn't it? It's okay. I'm going to pray for you to be able to get back up later. Some of you will be like struggling. Hey, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be this morning. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the leadership, for the godly people that are here. I thank you, the Lord, you've brought people here today to hear this message. But Lord, there's some that you've been holding back, you've been restricting. Lord, you've had your hand out because, Lord, you've wanted them to come to a place of realizing that it's not through their power. It's not through their ego. It's not through their accomplishments. It's not through their, the things they can do well. But Lord, it's through your power you want to move in their life. And I pray today, Lord, as we are on our knees, but Lord, it's a reflection that, Lord, we want to give the glory to you. But Lord, we don't want to steal the glory that belongs to you. But Lord, when you bless us, when you prosper us, when you pour out your spirit upon our lives, that Lord, we don't think that it's through good management. It's through our skill. It's through our talents. It's through what we do. But Lord, somehow we've done all this. But, Lord, we want to acknowledge that, Lord, we want to give all the glory to you. But, Lord, every accomplishment, every victory, everything that, Lord, happens, that, Lord, sees blessing on our life, Lord, we acknowledge the blessing and the favor and the glory belongs to you and you alone. Lord, we, f- we offer, Lord, today, Lord, an apology for the times where we've tried to steal your glory where we've tried to take what belongs to you and put it on ourselves. And Lord, today, again, on our knees, we're reminded that you are great. You are glorious. You are all powerful. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And today we come humbly before you, acknowledging you as Lord, King and Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need help getting up, just lift up your hand. Someone will be around to help you in a second. Thanks, Charles.